This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm Fiona Pepper and this is Fictions with another episode from our Untrue Crime series. Today, a story of when it's a crime to rhyme. In Slammin' with the Poet King, a young journalist tells the tale of his unrelenting search for the drug lord and king of slam poetry, L. Chapman. During long, hazy nights of poetry slams, Chapman's followers swallow his grandiose ideas after they swallow his trademark drug, blank. But this journalist is determined to bring this notorious slam poet to justice. Here's Slammin' with the Poet King, written by Julie Coe. It was the autumn of 2018, and I was hot on the trail of Australia's most notorious drug lord, L. Chapman. I'd first caught wind of his exploits while haunting Sydney's sinister gin bars. His was the only name on the hipster's lips. There were whispers that he was the mysterious king of the newest drug on the Sydney scene, Blank Verse, also known as Blank. I was keen to discover more, but little did I know that in investigating Chapman's story, I would plunge down the proverbial rabbit hole into a murky world of fraud, break and enters, and slam poetry. I wanted to meet the man himself. My initial leads came to nothing. People were afraid to speak to me. But I had a stroke of luck one day while out smoking with a balding tattoo artist in a sketchy Dulwich Hill car park. L. Chapman, he said. Mate, he's a friend of a friend. I'll hook you up. 30 minutes later, I received a cryptic text summoning me to an address on the grimy outskirts of the once tough Marrickville, where gangs in bygone days ran free. The place was the premises of an abandoned cake shop, half boarded up with holes in the window panes. I stood out front. Suddenly, I was plunged into darkness. There was a sack over my head. Someone snatched my phone from my hand and shoved me into a car. Mind your head or you'll soon be dead, a man said. The car gagged and took off. I lost my bearings after we turned right. Next thing I knew, the sack was off and I was on a yacht. My eyes adjusted to the light. Green and yellow ferries glided in the distance. It was difficult to figure out where I'd ended up. I could have been anywhere in the world. I realised there was another man on the yacht. A twenty-something silver-haired dude in a tailcoat, pantaloons and cravat. He was lounging on the deck with his arms draped around a pair of twenty-year-old blondes. He winked. Nice day for a sail, he said. The Holy Grail. Chapman wasn't your run-of-the-mill drug lord. He was also a well-known spoken word poet and was clearly keeping his vow of only ever speaking in slam poetry. The women giggled at the rhyme. I sat down across from them. I sensed strength, but also a kind of vulnerability in Chapman, the fragrance of sadness we've come to expect from the great creative geniuses. You could picture him having a cup of chamomile tea with the grandma, holding her hand, listening to her lament the deaths of all of her old friends. Chapman refused to talk about blank that day. Instead, he lit a pipe 
and expounded on his fashion aesthetic and its relationship to his poetry. I am an ageist anti-ageist, colonial anti-colonial sartorial nutter. I am the intersection. I am the bellwether. I am the conduit from the heights to the gutter. I was already familiar with his taste in clothes. In gin bars all over Sydney, drunk slammers had told me he was lit, that he went barefoot to stay connected with Mother Gaia, and otherwise dressed like an 18th century dandy. They said he'd taken to carrying around pinches of blank in a rotating collection of antique snuff boxes. The practice had inspired a revival of snuff boxes, pince-nez, pocket watches, duckhead walking sticks, and tartan waistcoats. There's a grainy video on YouTube of one of Chapman's winning performances at Sydney Town Hall. Chapman skips onto the stage. With his eccentric style, he stands out from his respectable-looking competitors in their pressed beige pants, collared shirts, white turtlenecks and long earrings. They read off greeting cards and iPhones. In contrast, Chapman has every word and gesture committed to memory. I call this after the revolution, he begins. Here's to the drifters, the kids and the grifters. Here's to the politics, the heretics and coptics. To Kyra and Caitlin and Madeline and Maya. Hush, my sweet nothings. Love is the answer. He places his hands on his heart. The audience murmurs and clicks. The wordplay increases in complexity. Here's to the Euclidean humanitarians, the Promethean veterinarians. He accelerates, gasps between lines. His delivery becomes frenzied, building to a final cathartic shout. The judges hold up their clipboards. A record-breaking combined score of 29.7 out of 30. I interviewed a poet who was at the town hall slam and who inadvertently got caught up in the Chapman whirlwind. He's a gangly, nervous man with a twitching right eye. He wants to remain anonymous. I'll call him... Tim Wood. When I met Elle, says Wood, he was a style icon of the Sydney slam scene. I'd gone to that slam alone, just to watch. When he got off stage, he picked me out of the crowd and introduced himself. He bought me a young Henry's. He really listened. It felt like he cared. At the time, I was an accounting grad at one of the big four firms. I was coasting along, pretty unhappy. I was like everyone there that night. A lost soul, wanting to touch heaven with my poetry, like Perseus or Andromeda. He could cast a spell over anyone. We were all so vulnerable to his charm. That's how he got us into his poetry movement, New Front Ear, or NFE. The movement's e-manifesto included a commitment to spreading slam poetry to the masses online. The first principle was, daily life is a continuous slam opportunity. NFE poets made videos of one-on-one slam battles that they conducted as they brushed their teeth in the morning or shopped for sanitary pads in supermarket aisles or swaggered through the Broadway food court, gesturing at the camera while queuing for Nando's. These are Chapman's most talked-about lines from the Nando's slam. The leaders of the world, designer loafers stuck to the cement-like, tuck shop toffee, or the rest of... Humanity toils. All of us, 
holding open their hotel doors, flushing their designer toilets, wiping piss off their porcelain floors. My brothers, my sisters, grab resilience by the wrist. Stop the tears and abuse, the taboos, the obtuse. Cry out your pain. Our words shall pierce the air. Chapman united NFE, not just against the wealthy, but also other Sydney Slam collectives. He had a particular hatred of the prominent Sydney academic and written word poet, Caleb Andrews, targeting him in a one-sided feud that involved toilet papering Andrews' house once a fortnight. Chapman called it a battle of the ivory tower versus the street. Andrews called it just very annoying. I wanted to find out more about Blank, so I attempted to get in touch with Dr. Edda Gunaiden, the world's foremost expert on Blank and the head of Sydney's Alcohol and Other Drug Research Centre. It took six calls to set up a meeting. She didn't want to talk. Too much press interest, she explained later. All of it sensationalist. Gunaiden's office is a lightless terrace in Surrey Hills the centre's headquarters during renovations at their Camperdown complex. When I arrive, I see a stick-thin junkie in a 90s Reebok tracksuit dragging his toothless girlfriend behind him and hassling worshippers heading to a nearby mosque. Tiring of that, he begins taunting a man with no legs, slumped by the side of the road. His eyes flick to me. Five bucks for a train ticket, he says. Don't be a shithead. I hand him a tenner and head in. Gunaiden confirms that the first known use of blank occurred among Sydney slam poets in mid-2016. It has gained some traction as a party drug because of the various ways it can be taken, she says. The drug has been crushed into a glittering dark green powder, then worn as eyeshadow and licked off the lids. It's been applied to lips so that individuals can get high on just one kiss. It can also be mixed into cocktails or dispersed into the air for others to inhale. Gunaiden says that according to anecdotal evidence, blank allows a person to hallucinate their deepest desires. Some of those affected have also been found worshipping the first thing in their line of vision after half waking from a trip. Of course, we should be acutely concerned, says Gunaiden especially if the first person they see doesn't have their best interests in mind. Chapman provided a never-ending supply of free blank to his followers. He produced crowdfunding campaigns for extravagant slams that never eventuated. All of the proceeds went straight to blank. He got us all hooked, says Wood. The police mostly let it slide, the drug was so new, and it was popular only among slammers. The poets spent weeks high in Chapman's seedy warehouse, dreaming they were rapping with Tupac, jumping rope on Jupiter, and flying solo over the Andes just by flapping their arms. Probably the saddest story from that period was what happened to Kurt and Greg, says Wood. Those guys had fantasies about being the greatest stalkers of all time. One night, Kurt followed Greg home, but... Greg thought he was following Kurt home. They got confused and pulled knives on each other. It ended in a slam duel. In the end, 
They broke down and held each other and emoted in the middle of the road through the spoken word, saying shit like, dip me in the glow of your embrace, and conflict is a sword sliding between the shoulder blades of our heady bromance. They clicked at each other's lines in the dark until a car ran them over. It was streaming live on Facebook. We had to pull the video. But we did do a live slam battle at their funeral, which kind of made up for it. Around that time, Wood began to suspect that Chapman was supplying the drug to his acolytes in order to siphon millions of dollars from them. Everyone was highly suggestible while on blank, he says. I saw L getting people to sign all sorts of documents transferring their money to NFE. I mean, these were amateur slammers. They had big savings accounts from their lives before L when they had full-time jobs. He made sure he was the first thing they saw as the high wore off. He was hoping they'd start worshipping him, and some did. He was trying to develop a new version of Blank with his supplier that meant the drug activated religiosity not just sometimes, but every time. There were rumours he was taking the money for himself and funnelling the proceeds offshore, says Wood. When he eventually approached me for my savings, I confronted him about the fraud. He got into a massive rage, called me a traitor to the slam life, a harbinger of strife. It really cut. It was all too much. That's when I called it a day and pivoted away from NFE. It takes all my effort now to avoid alliteration and resign every near rhyme. It brings back too much trauma. Wood was one of the lucky ones. He got out before the shit really hit the fan. Now reformed, he's become a fringe player on the Sydney comedy scene. His TikTok pranks only get a handful of likes, but he insists he is the most fulfilled he has ever been. If Chapman championed the poetry of the street, I wondered if I could track down the exact thoroughfare where he was born. I thought it could give me clues to the kind of childhood he had and how the wounds of that childhood might have shaped the character he ultimately became. He told Wood once that he had rode in the first eight for Cove, the elite North Shore private school for boys, but no one I contacted from that year's cohort could recall him. Wood remembers Chapman bragging about cleaning out his dad's house in Vaucluse. He stole hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of wine from the basement cellar, Wood says. He said his mum had taken an AVO out against him to stop him running a hoverboard over the tulips in her front garden every spring. I mentioned the wine theft to one of my drinking buddies, a retired detective. He'd left the force disillusioned after he got his nose shot off by the infamous bikey boss, Eric Newfaces Dando. Now he spends his days on the plonk pulling gherkins out of his cheeseburgers. This detective said that the theft matched the widely reported break and enter of a mansion on the Crescent in Vaucluse in 2016. The thieves, never found, reportedly emptied the cellar as well as the entire house. Nobody was killed, but perhaps that was because there was nobody there. The owners of the mansion, a couple in their 60s, were unavailable for comment. 
Robbing one's parents is just one method by which a child might obtain their inheritance early, says Associate Professor David T. Smith. Smith is convinced that Chapman is a psychopath. You'll find them in every profession, he says. Slam poetry is surprisingly no exception. Among other things, he points to Chapman's manipulative nature, grandiosity, callousness, deceptiveness, and lack of remorse. We could also add Chapman's criminal versatility. Wood says that his nefarious exploits include not just break and enter, but strong links to organised crime. The detective concurs. Turns out Chapman's connections extend to the notorious Da Costa family, he says. They're known to the police as drug dealers, extortionists, and money launderers who specialise in kneecappings and rent-a-kills. They aren't just patrons of nightclubs and standover men, but also members of the Sydney slam scene. A secret audio recording that Wood made while drinking with Chapman confirms his links with the underworld. He boasts, I'm a socially conscious criminal, a troubled man come good. I'm bringing it, I'm sending it, right into the hood. It is difficult to reconcile the extreme personality Wood describes with that of the sensitive young man I had met that fateful day on the harbour. It seemed that while Chapman might indeed have tea with your grandma, he'd probably then take her to the bank, get her to transfer her life savings to him, and then drown her in the bath, not before perching on a stool next to the tub, clutching her Maltese terrier to his chest, and letting her watch as he expertly slits the dog's throat with a sharpened butter knife. Then life got more interesting. Chapman vanished. He re-emerged a month later in London on a UK tour. I felt called to this great land, home of Ed Miliband, he told Slamwork. In a podcast recording of a slam heat in Shoreditch, Chapman can be heard ranting in free verse, attacking wokeness and cancel culture. While his poetry didn't make much of a splash in London, he did manage to get Londoners hooked on blank. Desperate expat Australian bush poets, their pockmarked faces concealed under a cubras, were seen using ride-sharing services to deliver baggies of blank to heiresses in the shadowy back alleys of Hoxton. The drug was soon detected in the Thames at levels rivaling those of cocaine. In September 2019, at the height of the blank craze, I received a voice message from Chapman saying he needed to see me in person. He sounded distressed. He proposed a rendezvous in Piccadilly around midnight in a couple of days' time. I took the first available flight out of Sydney. But when I arrived, it was too late. At the spot where we'd agreed to meet, he'd sat himself down in the middle of a picnic-themed display, sipping air from a floral teacup, a crescent of broken glass around him. I approached, shouting, but he didn't respond. Before I got to him, a cop car screamed down the road, swerving to a stop in front of me. Two officers jumped out. One shoved me out of the way, knocking my phone to the ground, breaking it. 
The other, shielding herself behind a car door, screamed, Put down that porcelain, punk! She ran towards Chapman and leapt into the grassy scene. The poet reached into a picnic basket and pulled out a fork. He stabbed her with it, right in the thigh, prong deep. She cried out, but the lady wouldn't back off. Lifting her leg, she spun around and came at him the other way. Chapman dodged her, scrambling back as she fell. He crawled behind one of the life-sized teddy bears at the back of the display. The two cops edged forward. Three more cars screamed to a halt outside, officers from the slam crime squad. They burst into the picnic and covered Chapman's only line of retreat through the biscuits and preserves section. He was surrounded. Drop that weapon, they shouted. They all fell on Chapman, smothering him, wrestling for any more cutlery concealed on his person. The roiling mass of bodies tumbled across the crescent of broken glass and onto the street. I watched, helpless, as Chapman bore the brunt of the fall, slamming against the pavement, crushed by the very same policewoman against whom he had committed his forked crime. I pushed through the circle of cops and knelt by Chapman. He reached for my hand. Guess it's the end, he croaked. My huckleberry friend. Right, said an officer. Enough of that. She pulled me up and manhandled me into a police car, blocking Chapman from view. I heard later that Chapman then gazed at the black sky and improvised his final spoken word poem, exclaiming how lovely it was to draw one's last breath while out in green pastures. It was at that point that an officer and part-time literary critic decided to taser him. Chapman went into cardiac arrest. He couldn't be revived. Chapman hadn't had the foresight to ask me, or anyone else, to film the performance for the NFE channel. And the only proof that the poem had even been uttered was a vague recollection in a tabloid by a luggage sales assistant who had seen Chapman's demise from across the road after a night on the grog, and who was angling to be a witness in the ensuing coronial inquest. Debates raged in Sydney warehouses afterwards as to whether a poem that existed only as a vague recollection could be listed in the NFE video canon. After Chapman's death, Sydney's remaining NFE poets engaged in copycat homages, trying to recreate his last performance for their online audience. Using Chapman's improved version of blank, every single one of the poets ended up in a strange state of worship. Some appeared in picnic-themed window displays, kissing the plastic feet of the mannequins, apologising to the artificial grass and praying to the blades individually, believing each to be a complete manifestation of Archangel Gabriel. Others bowed to pigeons and prostrated themselves in front of Il Pocellino, the bronze boar on Macquarie Street. Within three weeks of Chapman's death, the drug had wiped out the entire generation of NFE devotees. All of the money Chapman had raised had vanished, and the man at the centre of it all was dead. Not everyone, however, was devastated by the demise of NFE. In fact, it brought a wry smile to the face of Chapman's former nemesis, Caleb Andrews. He stepped out of the Bodleian Library in Oxford to take my call. When I heard the news, he said, I pulled out my notebook and traipsed into the backyard with my old dog. It was a beautiful day. I sprawled out on my wicker recliner, put opium in my pipe, and drifted straight 
to Xanadu. That was Slammin' with the Poet King by Julie Coe, starring Gareth Yoon. Untrue Crime is curated by Mark Dappen, edited by Sophie Townsend, with sound design by Simon Branthwaite and music composed by James Brown. And on the next episode of Untrue Crime, Ellen Van Neervan takes us to a water conference that turns nasty when its Indigenous participants demand a real voice. And you can catch another Julie Coe story. It's called Workers of All Lands Unite. It was part of our series, Oz Gothic. You'll find it here on the Fictions podcast feed. I'm Fiona Pepper, and I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.